Episode 22, George Swallow. George Swallow was born on the 11th of July, 1851, in Stebbing, Essex, England, to Thomas Swallow and Caroline Crow. His mother, Caroline, had a deep interest in religion and was quickly converted by the missionaries of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who came by their home in Stebbing Green in 1854. Little George was baptized into the church on the 12th of July, 1859, just the day after he turned eight years old. He was not the oldest in his family, yet he came to Utah alone at just 17 to earn money to bring the rest of his family, although truthfully he turned 18 just after he left. George was a hard worker and full of spunk, which may be why he was sent ahead. At this time, the Transcontinental Railroad had made it as far west as Benton, Wyoming, and this was the launching spot for the wagon train. Benton was close to where present-day Rollins, Wyoming is situated. That summer of 1868, Benton's population had exploded to as many as 3,000 almost overnight. It was one of several temporary boom towns that appeared as the railroad moved west. The town was mostly composed of shanty tents, many with wood foundations and roofs made of canvas. The following account of the journey of Captain MacArthur's church train from Utah to Fort Benton and back was written by Don C. Johnson in the Springville Independent, the local Springville newspaper of that time. In the spring of 1868, Springville was called upon to furnish six teams and teamsters and two night guards. One went with Captain Daniel D. MacArthur, a veteran plainsman from St. George. It was what was known as a church train. The Perpetual Emigration Fund had gone through several phases at this point, from helping completely outfit immigrants to providing handcarts and supplies, and now by dispatching wagons from Utah under experienced leadership. Local communities would supply the wagons and teamsters to pick up immigrants from the end of the railroad line and convey them to Salt Lake City, usually bringing freight back as well. Arriving in Benton early, Captain MacArthur and his men waited for six weeks for the arrival of the immigrants. The 4th of August, 1858, the wagon train left Benton. There were about 300 emigrants, a large number of them being young and from England. The train was back on the old campground early in the evening, and as fuel was scarce, half of the Teamsters kicked off their footgear and waded and swam to the other shore of the much diminished river for the wood for the campfire. The banks were lined with dry logs and large limbs cut by beavers. These logs were rolled into the stream, pushed, paddled, and ridden across by boys yelling and acting like wild old men, while the immigrants stood by and wondered. By dark, the campfires were blazing merrily, and girls who were fresh from Manchester and Leeds for the first time cooked their supper over an open fire, and later spread their scant bedding upon the open plain and laid down to slumber with no canopy above but the blue vault studded with stars. 
Next morning, the reveille sounded at 7 o'clock, and by 7.30 the train was moving westward, everybody walking. The wagons were literally packed to the bows with freight and baggage, and the wagons outside hung with cooking utensils at every available point. A motley sight. The trip home was made without special incident. The rivers were low and easily crossed, the most formidable being Green River, and it was now quite docile, but yet quite a third of a mile wide where it was forded, and for a long distance the water came up nearly to the wagon boxes. The captain sent a horseman across following some surface indications, and the crossing proving safe, everybody piled into the wagons. Some of the boys riding the gentle oxen and all the horses double, and the crossing was made in safety. After a few days, the pedestrians could make 20 to 25 miles a day and come into camp in fine shape at night. Nearly every evening when the campfires gleamed, the concertinas, flutes, and violins were brought out, and by the music, the boys and girls sang and danced until 10, when taps were sounded and all were in bed, for they needed rest for the next day's tramp. The weather was fine, there being but a few light storms. Captain Daniel Duncan MacArthur's train arrived in Salt Lake City, Utah from Fort Benton with 441 saints on the 2nd of September, 1858. Five small children died on the way. At the second crossing of the Sweetwater on the 19th of August, John Heber, son of Thomas and Eliza Jones, age one year, five months, and twelve days, died of the black canker, and on the 10th, Eliza Celestial, his sister, aged six months and twelve days, was also victim to the black canker. Black canker was a name for severe diphtheria. A young man named Henry Popple accidentally shot and killed himself on August 14th, just as he returned to the camp from a shooting excursion. The pilgrims and freight were landed in the tithing yard in Salt Lake City, the remainder of the company being all in good shape, and in a few days the boys were on the road for home, some living as far south as St. George. George Swallow eventually settled on a ranch in White Pines, Nevada. He married Anne Day, who was born in England November 4, 1850, and who had come to Fillmore. They lived out on the ranch and raised seven children there. The house they lived in was built room by room as the family increased. Their daughter Bertie recalls that they had to make their own fun, and she specifically remembers playing checkers as children. Bread, pies, and cakes all had to be homemade. The yeast used for the bread and rolls was made from a start and kept for years. The shortening used was lard rendered from their own pigs. Bertie learned how to ride horses, drive a team, cook, sew, and crochet. Anne had learned how to corn beef and make cheese while still living in England, and Bertie remembers that her mother was an excellent cook and seamstress. She made all the clothes for the family and knitted all their stockings. Anne Day Swallow lived until December 6, 1915. George outlived her by 16 years, passing away on the 20th of May, 1932.